It's actually pretty comfortable down here. It is. I like how cool the basement is. Yes. It's super so, cool. So far away from the sun. Yes. It's very good. Well, hello, everyone, and this is Come Back a Star, a movie award rodeo. I'm Jason. And I'm Laura. And welcome to episode 006, our 1927 28 roundup. In this episode, we'll be briefly discussing some scores and the movies we've decided to give a nomination to, as well as those that we have uh, snubbed. Yeah. And a couple that I regret snubbing, really actually. Interesting. Yeah, I see what you mean. There was, you know, one in particular, I think, sticks in my mind as, as a worthy contender. Yeah, yeah. There, that there's I just two... kind of neglected at the time. Hmm. By us. Yeah. Or, or by the Academy. I mean, the Academy, too. So, yeah. you know, we're not alone in our judginess. Uh, we reviewed five movies for the 1927-28 uh, Academy Awards year. The uh, first couple of um, Academy Awards were actually two years that spanned. Right. Uh, so it gets really confusing because... The next set of nominees we're going to do is 28-29. Yeah, it's it's weird how much filmmaking changed in those sets of years, too. Right. Oh, right. Because this is going to be our last uh, silent era. It's our first and only silent era. Yeah, that's because, right. you know, they closed up shop basically after this and went straight to sound. So it's going to be it's going to be a huge transition. It is. We've already seen a couple of the the next uh, the next year's movies, and it, it is not a it's not a change for the better. It's a clunky transition. Let's let, call let, it that. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's know, just say that the yeah. from the uh, kind of smooth sort of artistic uh, achievements that were made towards the end of the silent era to oh my god, how do we work with this all the sound equipment? Uh, I don't know. So it's really weird. It was almost like a step backward to take that step forward. Yeah, that's true. I mean, ultimately, of course, it was uh, a a big. Well, I'm not going to say a boon to the to the to the uh, medium, but you know, it added a, a aspect of it that we appreciate today. Oh, sound. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I do think one movie in particular would have benefited from sound this time around, but it is a right. shame that, uh, you know, just as they were getting it right and really creating this incredible medium. Right. You're talking about the the racket. The racket. Yeah. yeah. I think that yeah. would have really, that would have made a great kind of 1930s, his gal Friday kind of gangster film. Yeah. It was a great film as a silent movie. And it was. I think you're right. I like, like it. it Especially that second half that we'll go into uh, would have benefited from some sound. Yep. Some talkiness. Uh, so actually, let's go over our nominees for this year's, or at least the movies that we reviewed. There were three actual nominees for the Academy Award for Best Picture, and two of them were winners of Academy Awards in different categories. Uh, Sunrise won an award for Best Unique and Artistic Production. And Charlie Chaplin won his very own special Charlie Chaplin Academy Award just for him. <laughs> it was it was the Charlie Chaplin Award for Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. For his, quote, versatility and genius in writing, acting, directing, and producing. That's a quote. Both of these were uh, good movies, but we gave neither of them a Notsker. So we, I guess, agreed with the Academy in that regard. I mean, at least it, for yeah. best picture. I I think so. I mean, and I could definitely understand why they streamlined things in coming years and just made like a best picture. Because, yeah, this is some confusing nonsense. But I mean, I am glad Sunrise and Circus got their little day in the sun. Yeah, the one the one way I personally would pick it apart would be comedies versus dramas because it's just it's so apples and oranges. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to say like the best comedy is somehow worse than the best drama when it is just it's just, it's just different. Right, right. We were talking about that with the circus too. Is that and and with sunrise, it was pretty clear how it would need to be. It'd be difficult to compare these two to the other nominees that we talked about. Right. Even within the nominees that were in Best Picture, it was, you know, not always 
an easy comparison mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, the reason why we added, I think, those two extra movies that weren't in the best picture category ultimately was uh, I do think that we might have been uh, foreseeing the future, especially since we did actually see one of this New Year's uh, examples before we started all the reviewing and we were trying to prolong the 1927-28 yeah. era as as long as we could get that every last drop of silent movie era goodness good goodness that yeah. you could get yeah i mean it's an interesting to see the first sound pictures but yeah the quality does inevitably take a dip mm-hmm. because it was just so new and everyone was so eager to use sound without really knowing how yeah they're still definitely figuring it out at that point there's a big learning curve coming up yeah at least a year long (laughs) we'll see i mean you know by the 33 i want to say they figure it out a little yeah well i guess we'll see we'll We'll see we'll see maybe we'll be able to pinpoint the exact moment where they finally get it right right i think uh i think i double checked the the uh, Rotten Tomato ratings. Everybody for this year was well into the 90s, I believe. Yes. And for the next year, I don't think there's a single fresh one. <sighs> yeah, yeah I don't think so. I'll have to double have check fun. that. Maybe we'll announce that the next uh, the next episode that we go into. I think that's fair. But uh, don't worry about all of that. I, we're really selling the next year. I know, we? right? Jeez. It'll be fun. Okay. It'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe don't. a little sloppy. I'm talking about the movies, not talking about us. But we'll, we'll have some we'll have some great episodes coming out of yeah. 1928. Yeah, it's, it's always fun ragging on stuff. But the the movies themselves are are not great. <laughs> what have we seen so far? What but we've seen sometimes, so far. Maybe we'll be surprised. Pleasantly surprised. It's great to talk about a bad movie. There are whole podcasts and TV shows dedicated to doing exactly that. Absolutely. So out of this group of five, getting back to 1927 slash 28, out of these five, we nominated two for our prestigious Notsker, a movie award podcast award for movies. There we go. That rolls off Did I get it all? Sure you did. (laughs) Let's see. So we nominated two. Wings, which actually won the Academy Award, and Seventh Heaven, which I think we both think should have won it. Yeah. Yeah, we're, don't worry, we're going to very, very objectively kind of analyze these movies during this this one last uh, hurrah of 27-28 and objectively vote at the end of it. Our minds aren't at all already made up. No, not at all. But right now it's kind of leaning in that direction. Yeah. And I think I want to start off with uh, discussing the movies that we didn't nominate first. Right. All right. Let's start off with uh, Sunrise. Sunrise. And some people probably feel like we committed blasphemy for not nominating Sunrise. It's uh, beloved by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it really of when I looked at Ron Tomatoes, I think it got the most freshness of any of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that if you're a critic, you're going to be learning about in school. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not a bad movie by by any oh, no. stretch. It's considered a masterpiece by most film critics. And it's even considered among the greatest movies of all time, but according mm-hmm. to some lists. Yeah. <laughs> Don't agree. But go on. You remain unconvinced. I remain unconvinced. <laughs> all right. So let's just do a quick... I don't even know if it's going to take two minutes uh, summary of the plot. All right. So a two minute summary of Sunrise. Man is seduced by woman from the city. Yes. These are the characters names as stated by the credits. Man and woman from the city. And so the woman from the city convinces the man to murder his wife. When the time actually comes to murder his wife, the man can't do it. And instead they go on a nice series of dates in the city and rekindle their love. On their way home, there is a storm. Their boat is destroyed. The wife is presumed dead. The man starts to strangle the woman from the city, but stops when it turns out his wife is actually alive. The end. And there's a pig chase in there somewhere. That's, that's, that's a pretty good encapsulation of 
the movie, right? Yeah, the pig chase is the uh, principal attraction, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some good stuff in here. But yeah, and the series of dates, which I you know said in a sentence, are the bulk of the movies. Like a lot of little vignettes that are absolutely. Very well shot and very cute. And it's like if Psycho became like You've Got Mail or some kind of romantic comedy from the 90s. And I think that was our biggest objection. Was that it was a rom-com? The rom-com with a framey device of potential of media. Yeah, uh, it wasn't the rom-com aspect of it. It, I have no problems with murder or rom-com. It's putting them together. That makes it kind of weird. Yeah. It's not like peanut butter and chocolate. The interesting little tidbit that I read about was that local censors, so people who are actually running these in the film houses, I guess, mm. were act- some were actually cutting the whole seduction scene at the beginning of the movie where the woman from the city convinces the man to murder his wife, which, I mean, depending on how they cut it, would make the man look incredibly like scarier than than he already is. Yeah, those people weren't thinking it through. I mean, without the seduction, he uh, basically has no motivation to try to murder his wife, which makes it whimsical almost. Like, he just decides and snaps. Yeah, he had a little whim, kill his wife, but then decides, nah, I'll just take her on a night on the town instead. Very arbitrary. Yeah, it's... That that, that was, like, the main sticking point for us, and it was... uh, I mean... Again, this is one of the ones that I go back and forth on. Is the, did did we make the right choice? Because it is such a beautiful movie. I mean, uh, yeah, it was it was F. W. Murnau's first American film, and he was obviously a great cinematographer, great director, and he. I mean, it's a beautiful looking movie, and the acting is very good. But yeah, yeah I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, Janet Gaynor and George O'Brien playing the principals uh, were were fantastic. They were. I mean, and uh, the acting in all these movies. Yeah, it's great. Little vignettes of their day in the town were lovely. We uh, loved the pig chase. Oh, yeah. The uh, yeah, the whole big sticking point was the murder that really felt out of place. But ultimately, we decided to not give this one the Notsker nod because the comparison was also a little bit too apples to oranges with the rest of the movies in that it was like such a beautiful artistic film compared to uh, something like Wings or uh, The Racket or any of the other ones that actually were nominated in that category, which were cohesive. They weren't art films. Yeah, this is an art film. It had much more of a dreamlike kind of surreal quality than the other films, which can be great. And if they just could reconcile the weird plot. Mm hmm. I think it would have estimated a lot higher for me. Right, right. So, too bad. Uh, too bad sorry, sad sorry, sunrise. sunrise. You've you got have, your glorious reputation and legacy to comfort you. Yeah, if you had waited a year, you would have crushed it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the refrain for all of these that we're covering. That didn't yes. get a Notsker nod is no. Is, oh man, if you had waited a year. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Up next, we have The Racket. Very different movie. Very different movie. Like it's polar opposite. Definitely not an art movie. I like it better. I Yeah, there's that too. Um, not that it wasn't artistic. It just wasn't an art movie. No, no, no. It was a movie that impressed me more than I expected it going in. Uh, you don't typically expect that much to think over from a gangster movie. But I think this movie really made us both stop and think. And uh, I think a large part of that was the fact that the police don't follow the rules for one. And that leads to the unsatisfactory ending for two. Yes. Uh, Let's see. So let's give a brief summary to refresh ourselves and the listeners. So mobster Nick Scarcy and police officer McQuiggs face off over the matter of murder and related Beer smuggling. That's right. Beer. That's right. Beer. Specifically beer. This whole violent, uh, (laughs) whole violent system and series of events with police corruption and just corruption in general and death and murder is is over beer. And that's my biggest personal complaint since I don't like beer. So I don't see all the uh, brew. Ha ha. Over it. (laughs) Specifically. 
<laughs> You're welcome. There we go. See, this this is a comedy podcast. It it's, is it's, now. It's All of a quality. sudden, it's quality comedy, just like the circus. <laughs> exactly, quality comedy. Come back a star. <laughs> All right. So, aside from beer smuggling, Scarcy, the mobster, murders another crime boss. McQuig tries and fails to take him down for the murder. Nick Scarcy has a birthday for his brother Joe. Where in the party, uh, Joe meets Helen, the hero of the whole story. Fact. Joe Scarcy, the wormy brother, proposes to Helen during a car ride. She turns him down. He turns her out of the car and onto the street, to which a police officer feels it's appropriate to run after Joe in a high-speed chase in the car that leads to the death of a bystander. Joe gets charged but escapes justice as uh, I believe it's Nick's uh, lawyer shows up with a habeas corpus writ Mm -hmm. and just gets him out of jail. And Nick shows up and murders the officer who dared to address Joe, his little brother. Nick calls the DA who is in his pocket to help him get out of this one. That is Nick murdering this police officer. (laughs) But the DA feels the evidence is too strong this time to get Nick out of jail. Helen, again, the hero of the movie, is the one who tricks Nick into confessing and sealing his own fate. The DA arranges an easy escape for Nick, but Nick refuses to and threatens to blow the lid off of the whole corrupt cooperation between the mob and the DA's office. And instead, what happens is Nick gets shot by the DA's man in McQuig's office, claiming that Nick was trying to escape the end. Nobody really gets held responsible for the actions. Just like in life. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody gets held responsible for their actions in this. Uh, The corrupt police who use some brutal tactics to get, well, incorrect information for one. Yeah. It, It ultimately means nothing because the whole system is corrupt and no one's really following the rules in any meaningful way. Exactly. And yes, we're not going to pretend that our the depth that we read into this movie was not impacted by current events. No, yeah. This one definitely felt the most topical. Yeah. Even and for today. Yep, 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 yep. We're talking about prohibition in this one. We're talking about um, police not following their rules. Yeah. and corruption. <laughs> and yep, elected officials <laughs> not following the rules. It's, it's all horrendously um well familiar that's why you got to study your history folks because it just keeps on repeating study your history and watch the racket yes see this is how history should be taught in schools (laughs) via the racket via the racket um i think our one major criticism of this movie was that it was a little bit stale and stagey in the second half yeah and that one that second half takes place on a police station set and barely moves from it so it was clearly kind of a filmed play and you know which makes sense it was based on a play and i think this is this is why this film really would have benefited from uh sound i think of all of them because i think this could have gotten away with like maybe more clunky uh filming or design because the plot was good Mm -hmm. and the writing was snappy and the acting was good i think Mm -hmm. that it really would have benefited yeah, it would have been fantastic. Yeah. Um, and this one was definitely one I went back and forth on. I definitely appreciate it more the second time around. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was our second highest score amongst all of these. Um, just to have a quick cover of that, it was our second highest score. With oh, that's a score right. Of 93, second after 111 for Seventh Heaven, but ahead from. Uh, Wings, which actually did get the nomination. That's right. So a little bit of an anomaly here. We we scored higher on one that didn't get the Notsker than one that did. I mean, I think what it comes down to is that it's just missing that emotional pull that the other movies have. That's a good point, too. I mean, I love uh, Marie Prevost as the movie's hero, Helen. Um, she's like, I think probably just the most realistic and modern woman we see throughout and of all these movies. Uh, but at the same time, there just isn't as in depth character work as there are. That's the others. true. That's I, true. I mean, that's not like really a bad thing because it does what it needs to do. It just doesn't stay with you emotionally like another movie would. 
Yeah, they're very, I guess, kind of stock characters yes. trying to communicate something that's broader than the characters. I, I think. agree. Yeah. Yeah. Each element of it, what just going back to the scoring was, you know, how we have our different categories. We have acting, mm-hmm. writing, cinematography. I think each element of it was great. And it was that's, I guess, uh, that silent film, or excuse me, that silently filmed play element that dragged it down. Yeah. And also, like you said, the the lack of like really deep character development. Yes. But at the same time, I go back and forth on whether we should have given it anyways. Um, I almost feel like we're almost nitpicking at it at this point. I think so. I mean, maybe it's worth throwing in the bit in the mix. Um, looking back at it, I feel like maybe we should have gone and given it the nomination for our prestigious Oscar award. I don't think it would win Mm-mm. against our other two nominees. But- no. And that might be why I didn't nominate it. <laughs> but is the nomination a kind of award itself? I think that's how the Academy Award is treated these days. It definitely just automatically gives that movie a pres- sort of prestige that it, it wouldn't have otherwise. So, yeah, we wouldn't have heard about this movie without Mm-mm. that. No, so, it would have just been lost with a bunch of other silence. Yeah. And that would be that would be a shame. Sad. Yeah. Very sad. Uh, I guess like maybe if we had recorded the episode of this very day, maybe I would have advocated for it to be nominated, but we didn't. So, so we might as well. T- this it's is too late now. It's a lesson for us going forward to maybe be a bit more lenient. Oh, and we'll have to be a lot. Yeah. Of, a lot of, we keep <laughs> foreshadowing how terrible uh, it's going to be. It'll be fun. It will be fun. It will be fun to watch this next year. Uh, we We will go through. We'll go through the pain of actually watching it for you. <laughs> and then you can have fun with us kind of screaming in agony as we d- discuss these movies. Ours are good lives. <laughs> so which is the last one we didn't nominate, Jason? All right. The last one we didn't nominate was Chaplin's The Circus. Boop, 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 boop. Hooray. We we knew what we were getting into with a Charlie Chaplin movie, and we got it. Yeah. The fact that we knew what we were getting into was also part of the problem. Right. It was a great movie. Chaplin definitely deserved that special award, I feel, that he got for its production. But it was overshadowed, basically, by his own work that came before and after it. Yes, I agree. And unfortunately, we can't be like the audience of the first Academy Awards and erase the later movies from our minds. But even then, like his earlier movies stood out a little bit more. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I like, yeah, I enjoyed the circus, but, you know, the gold rush, the kid, City Lights, which I think was a little after this one. They were all better, I think. Mm. Better showcases for his talent. So I agree. That you get the feeling that the Special Academy Award that he won was partly for all of those movies he ever made and not just right. the circus. Right. It's like how Return of the King and the Lord of the Rings movies won all the Oscars when it was not not the strongest of the three. <laughs> it was more of an Oscar for all the other ones. Like, oh, sorry, we uh, I guess these have made a huge cultural impact after all. So we should probably. Sorry. All right. Let me see if I can give a quick summary of the circus. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, that we'll, we'll we'll get into how that's difficult. Yeah. Okay. So we have the Charlie Chaplin character, the tramp, and the tramp is accidentally funny. So funny, in fact, that he uh, first ruins the circus, and he gets an audition to be a clown because it's funny that he ruined the circus. Yeah, all the crowd was not laughing at the actual clown's antics, but did laugh at his ruining everything. At his buffoonery. His buffoonery, yes. Uh, let's see. So the tramp fails the audition to be a clown, but he gets hired to be a props man to let him continue accidentally ruining the circus and being funny doing it. Eventually, the ringmaster's daughter tells the tramp that what he's worth and that he's actually the star of the show and the tramp gets a little wage boost and the respect that he deserves. The tramp falls in love with the ringmaster's daughter that helped him do this. 
The ringmaster's daughter just wants to be friends, unfortunately, for the tramp, especially after a dashing tightrope walker appears on the scene. One day, the tightrope walker doesn't appear for work. The tramp takes over, gets some monkeys on his face, uh, finishes the tightrope tight walking act. Later, the ringmaster is hitting his daughter for something we can't even remember. He does it a lot. He does it a lot. It's kind of his it's, thing. Yeah, and it's horrible. Um, <laughs> the tramp intervenes in this uh, abuse and gets fired for being a hero. Later, the tramp is being a tramp. He gets approached by the ringmaster's daughter, who says that she has run away from the circus. The tramp goes back to the circus and convinces the tightrope walker to marry the ringmaster's daughter, which will apparently fix everything, because I guess that means the ringmaster's daughter can go back to the circus, but will have a man to protect her and protect keep her, her from, from her father, from, I guess. From her father, yeah. Her father, I guess, does not feel comfortable beating someone else's woman property. Uh, but in this universe everyone is happy yep everyone ignores the ringmaster's previous assault and battery on his daughter and they all head off in their circus wagon train everyone except for the tramp who charlie chaplin walks off into the sunset that's that's the circus that's the circus and if that feels like pretty uh pretty slim don't worry it's filled with antics all between those little plot points, such as they are. A lot of butt stuff. A lot of butts getting kicked. Yes. And what else do you need? Yeah, our primary criticism of this movie was that it didn't have much meat to it. Mm. Um, and it had a glaring gap in the story yeah. where there's never any explanation as to why the tightrope walker couldn't make it into work that day when... Chaplin's the tramp has to take over. It's like, could there have been something where maybe the tramp locked him in his dressing room or something? But no, it's just never brought up again. And he's suddenly there when the tramp wants to pawn off the daughter on him. It's weird. It's just it's something that just make kind of. Right. And also, why do they have to have a tightrope walk act when they didn't before? And they could have just had like the clowns go do something else. Instead of the tightrope act, I I don't. It's not supposed to make sense, folks. It's uh, it's supposed to let Charlie Chaplin be Charlie Chaplin, and it does. It does that very well, and it well. does. It does that really well. You're right. Plus, there gets to be monkeys, and the monkeys put their paws in his mouth, and it's really gross. It's it's strange, and I feel bad for those poor monkeys. I have a feeling a lot of animals were hurt in the making of this film. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, well, I mean, I guess one of them got, you know, their their own back by jamming his fist into Charlie Chaplin's mouth. So, yeah, well, there we go. Vengeance is sweet. There's no explanation for why the tightrope walker wouldn't have come into work. The rest of the story, such as it is, is, is like we've been saying, a framing device for Charlie Chaplin's hijinks. Um, there's no real commentary on anything nope. the same way that there is in some Charlie Chaplin movies. Um, I mean, don't beat your daughter. Treat your employees well, I guess. But is it even that? Because, yeah, nothing of consequence ever happens to the ringmaster, who's a real royal jerk throughout. Yeah, yeah, he's a terrible person. He tries to not pay his workers and he beats his daughter. Yeah. Not not a cool person. Um, and I think because of all of that, it... It's a great movie, but it still falls flat. Yes. Just in comparison to his own work and also similar works. Yeah. Like Buster Keaton movies and things like that, that were around at the same time. Maybe if you take his uh, career up to that point and use that as the basis of the award, I feel like you have a stronger case. Right. But... um it it was worthy of its own special Academy Award. I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Um, Again, I mean, I think it would have been better maybe not to nominate just for this movie, but to say, and for your body of work so far, here's right, an award. Kind of right. like what the honorary Oscar eventually became. Right. Yeah, I guess it's pretty similar. I don't know about you, but I feel pretty much the same way about the movie as I did when we uh, recorded the episode. Me too. Um, and. That's unlike The Racket and Sunrise to a certain extent. I feel less hesitant about putting this movie on a slightly lower tier than the rest of the movies 
for this year yeah. specifically. <laughs> exactly. I know that they're not just the next year, but there are a lot of other years where the circus racket sunrise, they all would have gotten nominations way ahead of, oh, of absolutely, other movies. Yeah. But we're, we're a discerning group here. We are. We are. We're fancy. The, the, the Natsker is not, um, an easily won prize. No, you got to work for it. It's true. And you have to beat out a couple of great movies. Yeah. How about you tell us about those great movies, Laura? Who, me? <laughs> okay. So that's it for our non-noms. Let's move over to our two actual noms. Wings and Seventh Heaven. So I'm going to start with the actual Oscar winner, Wings. Um, and looking at the Oscars as a whole, it's easy to see why it won. Mm-hmm, if it mm-hmm. weren't for the fact it was the very first Best Picture winner, it would be fair to say this movie is the epitome of Oscar bait. Yeah, I can see that. I can see how that's kind of a model that I feel like it eventually develops later mm. in in the Oscar history. But at this point, it really does feel like that, even with the very first Oscar. Yeah, and I'm really not saying that as a complaint. I mean, the movie is a lot of fun. There's just a lot of it. Um, And it's the story of two love triangles set against the backdrop of World War I fighter planes. Planes are the stars. They really are. Uh, Jack Powell, uh, played by Buddy Rogers, is your all-American boy, infatuated both with the idea of becoming a pilot and winning the love of local sophisticated city girl, Sylvia, played by Jabina Ralston, who was actually a really well, more well-known for comedies, I think, at that time. My one big complaint is they don't give her really anything to do. They don't. They, they really, She's really there don't. to look pretty and sad. Yeah, and she looks really put upon to be in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and pining for him is... Kind of the opposite sort, the literal girl next door, his neighbor Mary, played by a little uh, 20s it girl you might have heard of named Clara Bow. She's the banner on most of our social media things. She is because you can't get a better expression than her crazy eyes. (laughs) Gotta love her. You can't get more manic energy than Clara Bow and Wings. She was the original manic pixie dream girl and she did it right. Um... But Jack, like I said, there are like two different love triangles going on. The second is that Jack's rival for Sylvia is the rich but surprisingly honest and good-hearted David, uh, played by Richard Arlen. When the boys enlisted the war to become fighter pilots, they find themselves in the same troop and slowly but surely learn to get over their original animosity and become the thickest of thieves. Yeah, and this is done through a... How do they get into a fight again? Like one of them trips the other one or something like that. Right. And they, eventually it devolves into a fist fight. And eventually after this fist fight, they they love each other. Yeah. Jack keeps punching David and he keeps falling down and he keeps getting back up. And so eventually Jack is like, by golly, you got guts. And they become bros for life. Oh, which isn't long. No, because World War One. Because World War One was terrible, <laughs> and they were fighter pilots. But we do follow their friendship as they fly through battles in France with Plucky Mary driving taxis over trenches. So she, along with Helen from the Racket, is a good kind of modern, uh, thoroughly modern Millie type who uh, really yeah. doesn't stay on the sidelines. Uh, she definitely gets a lot more to do than poor Sylvia back home. Yeah, and even then, like, Clara Bow kind of complained about the role not being really developed enough. And it's true. I mean, it's kind of faint praise to give her because she's still, her principal motivation is getting Jack's love. Yeah, and she sees them as fighter pilots up in the air at one point. It's like, oh, hey, and this is in the middle of her, like, driving an ambulance, I think, Mm -hmm. throughout through some war zones and being heroic herself. And then she kind of notices these planes like, oh, hey, the boys. Uh, yeah, it's uh, very much her motivating force. But still being Clara Bow, she brings a lot of her personality to it and really makes Mary a character we root for. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are several romantic misunderstandings throughout and a fatal mix up that brings the movie to its emotional climax. Oh, and lots and lots of flying scenes. Lots of them. Yes. Lots of them. 
recovering the human element of the story simply because we aren't airplanes. But if you are an airplane, oh man, there's a lot for you in there's, this movie. You're gonna love it. You're you're definitely gonna connect more to the uh, to the other characters. And therein lies our biggest complaint, funnily enough. Lots lots of times the plot seems just a place filler for the stunt pilots. I mean, those scenes are certainly impressive. Uh, the young director, William Wellman, must have driven his producers crazy since he constantly delayed filming until the conditions were just right. Uh, they filmed in Texas and he knew that to get the best effects for the planes, the sky would have to be filled with clouds. Now, being a Texas boy yourself, you know, yeah, that, that doesn't, doesn't always happen. That doesn't always happen. Uh, but I mean, it was worth it. Uh, in 1927, audiences must have, must have just truly felt like they were up there with them uh, to really see what, you know, they were called in World War One flying coffins, what it was actually like to be there. I mean, since the war was just a decade before, there was an immediacy there that audiences must have reacted to intimately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The scenes are still breathtaking for a modern audience. The special effects in this are amazing, but yeah. they do go on. Uh, the film... Is much longer, I think, than it needs to be because of this. Um, I mean, the plot that is there is certainly effective. The acting all around is great. I mean, Bo, of course, is spunky and touching, but also Buddy Rogers as Jack and Richard Arlen as David also give superlative performances. I mean, and you get a very effective cameo by Gary Cooper, who we'll hear more of in the future. Yeah, (laughs) just a couple of times. Uh, There are also two bookend scenes in the beginning and the end with David's parents that really pull at the heartstrings just as much today as I'm sure they did then. Yeah. Soon after the war. Yeah. And uh, we also got to point out that this was only 10 years after the war had ended, too. Mm -hmm. So this was pretty fresh. Pretty fresh in everybody's mind. Yeah. Mm hmm. And uh, so it's no travesty that Wings won Best Picture at all. I mean, I get it. It's, uh, I'm sure, really struck home to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's a very, mm-hmm. very worthy contender. But did it deserve the Oscar over our next film, Seventh Heaven? I don't know, Laura. I don't know either. Let's explore it. Shall we? Let's do. Thank you. <laughs> Won't you? Thank Won't you? you? In a way, Seventh Heaven is a parallel to Wings. Both take place during World War I. Both are anchored by love stories. Both have naive, youthful protagonists who have no clue the horror in store for them when the fighting starts. But where Seventh Heaven, I think, gets it better is by fully establishing the characters and their relationships. And in doing so, creates, in my opinion, one of the most memorable love stories in film. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree. And um, you get a lot more of the emotional punch, I think, of just the war itself yes in a ways uh you have a character that is makes a big deal of never being afraid literally saying i'm afraid once a war they lull us into a false sense of security at first they make us think this is going to be a love story about two people finding out they're in love and then suddenly the war enters and everything changes and i think it it took me by surprise just the twists and turns the story took But where Seventh Heaven was an American story with bright-eyed, semi-affluent American youngsters as their leads, Seventh Heaven takes us to the slums of Paris. There we meet characters who are the poorest of the poor. Our hero, Chico, Chico, works (laughs) Great way to start that. Uh, Chico works in the sewers, and his highest aspiration is to clean streets instead. When his comrade, Rat down in the sewers uh, with him. He stares up to the world above their manhole and gives lengthy speeches about his worth and heroism. Yeah. It's, um, it's really interesting that they, that they have that tack and also that his greatest aspiration is to be a, a street cleaner as opposed to a sewer cleaner. <laughs> and can't uh, blame him, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, if I was cleaning the sewers, I would prefer cleaning the streets too, but it just keeps the character very grounded yeah, and relatable. And I think 
when we talk about, uh, for example, Sunrise, A Tale of Two Humans, which is bookended by a plot for murder, uh, this Seventh Heaven excels where, where Sunrise failed in that regard and that these are very relatable and you can see them as kind of like anywhere USA slash France uh, slash just the anywhere. world in general. Yeah. These two, two people who fall in love and it's, um, it's very well done. And I think the character of Chico is this really kind of pompous mix of virtues. He, uh, what makes it work that these speeches of how like what an incredible man he is, is that they take this handsome, strong man and turn him into a goofball. Like, yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's a it's a gentle kind of uh, mocking of his own self-worth. They don't take it too seriously, which makes his character very just a lovable goofball, I think. Yeah. You know, you you end up really liking the character and. I think it's a testament to to the a performance that he has all of these bravado and what would be from someone else really obnoxious qualities. But you do feel like he actually cares about the people around him and thinks a lot of himself, but also thinks that the people around them around him should also feel that good about themselves. That good about themselves. Exactly. And uh, so then we meet his seeming seemingly opposite counterpart in young Diane, mm-hmm. a girl who's browbeaten and physically beaten by her drug addict sister, Nana. Who whips her? Uh, who whips her? She has her little uh, uh, weapon of choice. It's just this whip she carries around all the time. Yeah, like that's her shtick. It's her shtick. It's a little Dickensian. I love it. They likewise live in poverty, but Diane lacks Chico's self-esteem to kind of see her through. She's the definition of a hopeless waif, mm-hmm. forced into stealing and pawning to satisfy her sister's addictions. When the girls get the chance to move on, when their rich uncle and aunt arrive from overseas, Diane finds she cannot lie about the wicked lives she and her sister have been leading, which makes her judgmental jerk of an uncle abandon them. Yeah, he's terrible. He's not great. They're better off. Well, I mean, they're not financially, but uh, this makes Nana fly into a rage using that handy whip she has to chase Diane into the street. She's only stopped by Chico, who lowers her her into the sewers and threatens to drop her if she doesn't stop attacking Diane. Yeah, Chico apparently is very strong. Yes, he's strong. And can just dangle a person over a manhole. (laughs) It's pretty, it's a pretty boss move. Mm Mm-hmm. So Nana flees and Diane is like half unconscious, half not. It sort of hovers nearby as Chico uh, kind of sits on the sidewalk with his friends and eats and chats about his ambitions and about how God has failed him for not getting him an assignment for straight cleaner. And he's overheard by uh, his by this priest who just sort of walks in and out of the movie um, and. uh who seems to be an honest sort who happens to have an assignment for street cleaner cleaner on hand. And he gives it to Chico to make up for, you know, God's failures. Yeah. It's just like a little card that apparently priests can just hold and hand out. You know, it's Chico's lucky day. I guess so. He's thrilled and stops Diane from taking her own life, trying to buck her up with a pep talk. However, Good old Nana returns uh, with a cop in tow uh, who's arresting her and she tries to get Diane arrested as well. And before he could think better of it, Chico intervenes and says that he and Diane are married. He panics, though, when the cop says that he will be back to his uh, residence to check up on his story because like, oh, God, I just got this position I've wanted forever. And now I'm going to lose it all because I'm not married to this dame. Uh, but Diane finally kind of advocates for herself and says, well, you could just take me in until the police visit to mer- make sure that we're really married. Yeah, it'll it'll just be, you know, temporary, I'm sure. Temporary little farce. Chico agrees and leads her up to his apartment on the seventh floor of, the, of their tenement, an apartment that looks out to the sky and the city below them, the seventh heaven of the film's title. Oh, yeah. He also says that she has a great head when she comes up with this scheme. See, he's a wordsmith, a real poet. Of course. And 
I just love the idea that it's her physical head. It's her physical head. It's a good one. It's a good one. What, what do you like about this lady? He's like, well, she has a great head. Great head. <laughs> and what follows is these two uneducated, artless characters, Chico the bombastic idealist and Diane the shrunken violet, getting to know each other and fall in love. Aww. It sounds simple, and it and it is, and I think that's the beauty of it. Yeah, I think, again, like we've already been talking about, the fact that it is... Neither of them are these big, giant heroes or personalities except for to each other. Yes. Yeah. They just really complement each other in mm. a way that you can see, like, just so clearly. And uh, they, they plan to marry for real when news comes in. that guess what? The Germans are coming and Chico must go to war. Like right now. Right now. Because the start of World War One. What, you know, what follows is just really, I think, heartbreaking stuff. And I think that the plot does flirt with corniness and in less capable hands, it could have been pretty unbearably saccharine. There was a, a remake mm -hmm. in the 30s with Jimmy Stewart and Simone Simone, and apparently it went that route. And a lot of people were like, wait, what did we see in the first movie? Because... This whole setup doesn't work, but the movie is elevated by the chemistry between Charles Farrell, who plays Chico. Right. And once again, Sunrise's Janet Gaynor as uh, as Diane. Yeah, I think and I think maybe it could be an element of it being silent as well. Yeah. Um, it kind of puts it in this more not quite physical space. Yes. I think like it's a like it's a cherished memory almost. Oh, that's a beautiful way of putting it because we project so much, I think, onto the silent movie stars because we can't hear them. Mm -hmm. And I think that they really become their characters in a way they might not have been able to with sound. There's an honesty and simplicity in their portrayals of Chico and Diane, and both characters become stronger by knowing each other. Right. Their love story is immensely moving, so much so that, you know, Gaynor and Farrell made many, many other movies and fans just assumed they were married in real life. They were not. <laughs> uh, but I the, love that. The fact that the film overcomes cliches and sappiness to get us rooting desperately for these two is a triumph of its execution. Um, and for my money, it's the most moving of the movies we covered and the most memorable. All the moving parts to come together for an even greater whole. Yeah, and I have to say that a lot of these movies weren't, I couldn't remember every single different aspect of it. And mm -hmm. are you probably, if you've heard the episodes, um, you knew that uh, there were points where we struggled and went back and forth. And I was like, oh, well, what about this? Mm -hmm. Oh, let's rewind like several, <laughs> several half hours. Uh, this one. I feel like it it worked more as a whole rather than different little sections. And it's, I don't know. There is a reason why it got 111 points. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, so definitely our highest scoring. Um, so just keep looking up, folks, as they say in the movie. Keep looking up. So shall we hold our voting? Let's do it. I have here two cards. It's going to be secret ballot. Okay. Um, I didn't bring a pencil. Can I have yours when you're done? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to cover my card. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to see. I don't want to see. And we're going to decide which of the two nominees is going to win. Wait, is that a pencil? Our first Notsker for the years 1927-28, at least that first half of 28 because the next year is 28, 29. God, that is confusing. <laughs> it's super confusing. You know, I mean, they were just starting out. We got to cut them some slack. Okay. So the secret ballots have been handed in. I'm going to shuffle them. So I don't know who's is who's. Scramble it up a bit. And are you going to tally these? All right. So okay. we have one for seventh heaven. <gasps> okay. One for seventh heaven. And uh, two for Seventh Heaven. What? Oh, my God. The movie we liked the most and gave the highest score won? Yeah, it's true. Oh, my God. Martin. Martin. <laughs> <laughs>
Seventh Heaven is our Notsker winner. Seventh Heaven, congratulations. Congratulations, guys. You kids did it. You did it. I know you were working for it. I know that what you were hoping for was a couple of nobodies close to 100 years from when you started this movie. Would appreciate it so much to give it their prestigious Notsker Award. Hey, if that ain't legacy, what is? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the movie award podcast movie award for movies is not anything to, to sneer at. No, no. It's revolutionary, man. Well done. Well and done. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Uh, check us out on Twitter and Facebook. Twitter is Come Back a Star. And you can also look up Come Back a Star on Facebook and find our Facebook page. Um, I don't know if we have any other social media things. Um, that's enough. Don't overwhelm everybody. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, we will come back at you um, either a week or a couple of weeks from now with our first movie for the 2829. The first talkies. The first talkies. Get excited. Get hype. Get exactly. Get get stoked. Get stoked. Dang there, yes. Now we've got talkies. We've, we've got sound. Which, we've got sound. So we no looking back. Yeah. All right. From from now on, it's just going to be people trying to figure us out <laughs> as we try to figure it out as well. So yes. Please join us on this wackadelic journey. All right. So uh, I guess projector off, curtains down. Keep looking up. I'm a very, a remarkable fellow. 